Yes. Uh, so my my want is just to visit a little bit and get to know more of your background. I, I know some things, but sure. also in doing that, kind of figure out how you developed in ministry and then also talk about ministry innovations. Uh, we've talked about some before. I've noticed some that you're doing now. Um, you know lots of people. Maybe there's others that are doing interesting things that we could share about. But that's yeah. kind of the, the point is to have a longer form conversation, kind of like we do after somebody preaches or revival or things. And um, I got you. Let people know, because you have these short videos that you're doing that are amazing. I share them all the time with people, reference them in conversations. Somebody will ask a question, I'll be like, oh, my friend made a great video about that. You need to go watch it. Um, but they're short, and so I think people would like to know you better. Yes, sir. Sure. Well, we'll let you be the interviewer. Sure. I was well, I am curious. Are you native to Georgia? Because you have um, – yeah. Awesome. You have that wonderful southern accent and that comfortable charm <laughs> about yourself. I mean it. You're comfortable to be around. And so you're native to Georgia. I am. And I'll tell you, you know, I grew up just south of Atlanta, but my mom and dad are from south Georgia. Heavy, heavy accents all around. So being down here 11 years, my accent has gotten very much thicker. It's like I'm back in my native environment. <laughs> Makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah, and what was your childhood like? I know that you have some very smart and accomplished siblings. Um, well, I remember you you shared that your your house was a house of books. Yeah, it really was. So, just uh, I was the youngest of four children. My dad was literally a war hero. I didn't really realize all that till I became a middle aged adult. Because, you know, you hear your dad talk about things you're like, oh, dad, oh, dad. Sure. And then you realize, I mean, you know, he was double purple heart. And, really? Uh, you know, won all kinds of things in, uh, he was a ranger in Korea, things like that. And he was a very smart guy. And then he became a union leader. Okay. Like he met with President Kennedy and helped uh, work out some things with unions back in the early 60s. And then he uh, helped to strike, get resolve at the Lakewood plant. And so he was also head of a credit union and things. And mom, she was very smart. She went to college and did accounting and worked in banking and things like that. And so uh, my sister, uh, you know, ended up getting a master's degree back in the 70s, I guess, worked for Black and Decker and then went to work for Unisys. And she likes to tell it, she got 17 slots from the top at Unisys. That's pretty much where she retired from. Yeah. And then my brother Lamar, um, you know, he's, you can watch on YouTube, Conversations with the Great Minds. He's on that. And uh, he's been front page of USA Today. Uh, the U.S., uh, he's been uh, on CNN, Fox and Friends, all types of things. The Discovery Channel has made two specials just on the work that he's done. Wow. He's been on the History Channel and things like that. I think I so, remember Dallas uh, Dallas Davis showing me a clip from that. He's like, did you know? And he pulled it up on his phone. <laughs> <laughs> well that's funny and my other sister she's you know pretty good she got a master's degree from uh, georgia tech in like nuclear engineering 
and then went to work for the Nuclear Regulatory Commission when she was in her 20s. She was making wow. a lot of money. She graduated from Emory for a bachelor's and then Georgia Tech. And then, so she was making six figures like way about 30 years ago. And then she got married and, and got, had children and homeschooled her children. Just, you know, so, you know, it was a interesting household. Didn't really realize it at the time. Mom and dad were back, the backest of the backwoods country. Like my dad did not get electricity. A lot of people don't realize this and they don't really believe it, but he didn't get electricity in his home until he was 18. Wow. So far in the woods. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so they valued education. Dad always said he'll pay for as much college as you want. So then wow. I got saved and went to Bible college. He didn't like that, but oh. ended up paying. I thank the Lord. So. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, we're not so far removed from not having basic utilities and a lot of the things that we uh, take for granted. My granddad was the first guy in his, the first person in his town in Arkansas to have a truck. Yeah, see, <laughs> uh, I used to, when I was talking to my friends in Indiana, excuse me, Illinois, and some of them would talk about they still had uh, horse troughs in the center of town from where into the 50s people would take horses. And then in California, my friends in California say some of the cities there till the 2000s had horse, you know, where you can wrap your horse up. Oh, yeah. Saddle. Because they're just cowboys. That's fun. Um, my friend O.C. Marler, he's 85 from Hineston, Louisiana. And so I asked you one day, I said, well, now, did you know about, uh, you know, did you ever have to use an outhouse? He said, Steve, till I was eight. We just went to the woods. He said <laughs> an outhouse was technology for us. Oh, wow. We got an outhouse that was considered a while. We've made it now. Well, we no longer just have to go <laughs> feral in the woods. I mean, nearby place now. <laughs> I mean, that's just an amazing thing to me. So here's something <laughs> kind of backwards about Alaska. How houses here are kind of celebrated um, as being like, real Alaska. And so there's still a lot of dry cabins here, a lot of them, and a lot of off-the-grid cabins with no electricity. Really? And so people will, like, throw a fuel tank in the back of their truck, and they'll bring home uh, gasoline to run a generator so they can have power when they need it, on-demand power, and they'll still use, it's very common, like, on Craigslist, you'll see dry cabin with an outhouse for Isn't rent. That incredible? Yeah, and, and people like it. <laughs> well, they think they're I know I was reading uh, when the census comes out I like to read various and sundry and I forget if it was the 2000 or 2010 census but one of those I mean not too long ago that there were more people with uh, outhouses than were without television more people had television in their house than had indoor plumbing in the United States of America. And so I began to research and it was actually my neighboring state, Alabama, really? that I think had the most outhouses. <laughs> so, <laughs> there's a lot of places look like the third world down here. I currently pass from the second poorest city in America. Is it? Yeah. And so like I've taken people around and they're just like, we never knew things like this existed in America. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the poverty. Yeah, we're not as far removed from, you know, uh, being without as we think we are. And we're certainly not as even keeled as maybe we think we are. No. <laughs> not nearly. No. Well, it's like Kipling said, you know, 
of civilization, he said, how dark the night and how thin the veneer. Mm -hmm. And so like in a Russian revolution, you go from a civilized country to barbarism, according to Solzhenitsyn, just like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was one thing that really struck me, Derek, when I was teaching in Scotland in 2005. It was the thin veneer of civilization in Scotland. Uh -huh. um, you, you had like the Celts and the Rangers were the two soccer teams. One was Protestant, one was Catholic. Yeah, and so they had colors, their soccer colors, and like people just walking down the street would just begin fist fighting. And you really realize that this is there's just a thin veneer. This is not far removed from the Picts, you know, and mm -hmm. the different people who inhabited. Scotland and then Northern Ireland was much the same experience. At least that was my experience. I was like, wow, this is this is not far from, no. from barbarism here. So Shannon, her family was there for uh some time. Uh you know, I remember were you there at the same time? No, but I remembered, you know, mm -hmm. that that had occurred. Yeah. I was there in two thousand and five. She talked about were, stabbings in schools. And how yeah. like people were like chased off the street into their house or into their church, you know, like just the, like you're saying, um, the the always available violence. <laughs> well, the the missionaries in Northern Ireland, they told us that you know that's the you've got the Sean Fien and uh, the Irish Republican Army and all of this. So he said he walked out of his house one day and somebody had painted a certain colors on his sidewalk in front of his house. So he just painted over it. Uh -huh. And he uh -huh. said, two guys came to his door and said, now, you know, the reason we put those colors out is so when fighting begins between Protestant and Catholics, we recognize you as a Protestant, you don't get killed. So he said, so, we're going to repaint your sidewalk. Wow. And if you remove it again, we're going to kill you and your family. And he said, paint all you want. <laughs> Make it what? <laughs> Just paint. <laughs> Do you need some paint? I can give you some paint. <laughs> Wild. Hello, I want to take a quick break to invite you to all the other things that we're doing. So we're doing a lot of different things in ministry. We've got an ice cream truck that we're developing. We're growing a church in Alaska. Uh, I'm preaching out. Lots of good things happening. On top of that, we're producing this show and other resources. I have a lot of resources coming out. And so if you'd like to be a partner with us in ministry, I want to invite you to our website, seagraves.me, spelled just how it sounds, waterandeadpeople.me, seagraves.me. And um, there you can sign up to be a ministry partner of ours. And, and that will send you newsletters um, full of interesting things. We're not going to spam you. And as we release resources and new episodes and things like that, we will let you know. Of course, you can subscribe on YouTube or a podcast, wherever it is that you're consuming this content now to be updated on episodes. But all the other things we're doing in ministry, we'd love to let you know about. And we're not going to flood this this uh, channel with that. So God bless you. Please join us on our newsletter. And let's get back to the interview. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then, and then here, you know, we're not so far removed either. You look at the protests and violence that's there. Uh, you look at Black Friday shopping. It wasn't so bad this year, but in years past, I mean, people 
trampling each other for a perceived good deal. (laughs) Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. So what age were you saved at, and and what were the circumstances there? I was 18, and I was working at a catfish restaurant, and I'd been flirting with Sister Waldron. All right. So over the course of time, she ends up, and this is over the course of months, she invites me to church. And I got the Holy Ghost and got baptized in Jesus' name. Ended up marrying her. So that's how I got in church. Now, an odd twist of all that is I grew up next door to brother and sister Knight, Don Knight. He's given so the Lemnio Seed of Missions. The church is now the Weidmans, uh, two generations of Weidmans there. And But I grew up next door to them, and she would, you know, Sister Knight would take me to school. And we'd pray together and stuff, but I never really caught that. So I probably got prayed in by them. Sure. I didn't get saved at their church. Wow. Well, one plants, one waters. Praise God. Exactly right. That's awesome. And so from there, you went to Bible school, which wasn't dad's choice, but he supported you. And then uh, how did you get developed into ministry? Was going to Bible school for that purpose or was it just? Yeah, I got saved in April. And so, uh, you know, dad had said, look, we'll pay for your college, wherever you want to go. So, you know, I'm thinking Harvard, these type things. I'm wanting to to hit a home run. And so I was praying. I remember I was somewhere around East Atlanta Road in Stockbridge, Georgia. And I'd been, it'd been a matter of prayer for a couple of weeks. God, what do you want me to do? And, you know, in my flesh, I really want to be a lawyer. Before I was saved, I had been in pre-law. And so I was like, God, do you want me to be a lawyer? And I'll just tell you nothing. Every time I would get to preaching, then I would feel peace. I just knew. You just knew that was it. I was like, okay, God, I will answer the call to preach. So uh, I went to Jackson College of Ministries in January of 85, graduated with a bachelor's degree in uh, May of 87. And uh, had to do, you know, double up on some work there and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, immediately went back to uh, my home church. Brother Sam Latta was there at the time. Brother Mark Grisham had baptized me in Jesus' name. Very always grateful for that. And I'd received the Holy Ghost under his ministry. Then Brother Latta was there. And so then I was seven years with Brother Latta. And that was divinely orchestrated by God because he, you know, he trained, his job was training ministers around the world. Yeah, I'm reading the Rodenbush's book right now, and I'm this far from the end of it. I'd skimmed it before and wanted to read it, and he's mentioned in there in his work training ministers overseas. Yeah. Well, he actually won Brother Rodenbush to the Lord. A lot of people don't know that. Wow. That Brother Rodenbush was a young man like walking to church. He's 17 or something. And yes. he got saved at Brother Lattice Church. Goodness, I, I must not have made that connection because I remember the part of him walking to church, yes. Wow. Yeah, that <laughs> was actually, so he always considered Brother Latta his pastor. Wow. And so then Brother Latta made it to the mission field, Liberia and Ghana, and then Brother Rodenbush followed in his steps over That's there. Awesome. And uh, so that was interesting. Okay. Sure fascinating turn of events so you're praying and uh about direction and such and god's just not blessing the lawyer track and so you receive your call to preach 
And um, and so that's what made you choose Bible school? Yeah, and I'll tell you something else, too. You know, I was at Bible school kind of at a divinely ordained time. It was a great time to be at JCM. Had Jonathan Urshan was my dean of theology. Sidney awesome. Poe was there. Gordon Mallory was there. Not only was David Bernard there, but David Bernard's parents were there, <laughs> missionaries to Korea. David Reaver, secretary for the Maryland district now, was there. Daryl Johns, who later became youth president, now pastors Great Church in West Atlanta, was the uh, executive vice president my last year, but also the assistant pastor there. Wow. So it was just a very... For, you know, getting taught by Brother Bernard, Brother Urshan, lot, Brother sure. Oggs, Alan Oggs was the executive vice president before that. And so just amazing. So then when I got out, I'd made such a commitment. The, it was really the Bernards, I think, put that commitment in me. Brother Mallory was very great in that too, but the uh, elder brother and sister Bernard, then like I would get jobs. My first question for a job would be, will you guarantee me I'll never have to miss church? And if they said no, I'm like, I, I'm not taking the job. So actually when I graduated, I got a job making minimum wage. Wow. Just because I wanted to seek first the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. That's how I got in books because it happened to be at the largest Christian bookstore in Georgia. Oh, okay. Which did about $2 million a year. And so that's how I, got into the book industry and ended up there and then managing a Christian bookstore for a total of about 12 years. Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that, how you got into books and book sales. Very cool. So it was just not compromising on church. <laughs> uh, made you shut every door except that one. And awesome. And then you were diligent there, of course, with your Christian virtues and I'm sure they appreciated your work and uh, yeah. So you moved up and onward. Wonderful. Well, how did you come into pastoring? Have you always been a pastor? Have you been a missionary, worked overseas? No, it was it was always a goal. You know, I always, okay. I actually kind of thought I would be an evangelist at some point in my life. And, uh, but Brother Latta, he kept telling me, he said, no, you're a pastor. So I was there with him for about seven years, had some fascinating things. We had a backslider burn the church down while we were there. Fascinating. While he was living in it, it was a massive church too. Wow. And all this. And uh, so uh, we were right next to the fourth fastest growing county in America and ended up starting a church there out of his church. Okay. And I was there almost 12 years before I went full time to uh, Indiana Bible College. But God mm -hmm. bless her, we went from our home to the officers club at Fort Gillum to a storefront to buying property to building a church to building a gym to buying the houses on either side wow and uh you know the lord really blessed there that's awesome that. and so then brother mooney asked us to come up to IBC full time mm -hmm. most of what i had there being a church plant in a heavily southern baptist area it was the, the things i had learned is i just in you know dealing with atheists and stuff drug addicts is answering their questions so mm -hmm. it's kind of a real world i didn't just study to obtain knowledge so to speak it was just i was getting all these questions constantly cult watchers were constantly confronting us 
trying to get me fired from my job. Oh, really? Kind of, yeah. I'm so not I, surprised. Yeah, so I, I had to get a uh, a real grasp on what I believe beyond Bible school. Yeah. And, uh, then having the broader, when I say Christian world, I say that in a certain sense, not the apostolic sure. Christian sense. You know, being exposed to books and Bibles and resources, that really helped as well. And I was able to see some of the objections they had to apostolic Christianity and, you know, to try to work through and answer those objections as well. It is. It's invaluable. Uh, where we are, uh, Alaska is is largely unchurched. Um That's- when I was there with you for those two uh, those two uh, spring breaks, uh, it seemed like the challenge was everybody was already saved. And so I'd knock on their door and invite them, and they'd say, I'm Methodist. And I eventually just started saying, wonderful, lots of Methodists at this church. You'll fit right in. And... <laughs> And uh, we'd pray with them. That was that wound up being the key was praying with them right there. Um, but up here, um, people are so frontier minded and oriented and stuff. Uh, and this, of course, you can't throw one big blanket over everybody. But the challenge here is that they don't feel like they need God, or you know, their experience they don't have any tradition to connect them to church, so they don't even know that going to church is a good thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, I get lots of questions, and it's really blessed me to have to find the answers. And uh, I tell people all the time, it's really been a blessing to our ministry. I tell them, church is the place for your hard questions. Like you, you need to come here, and you need to get your questions answered, or they're they're going to fester like an open wound. And so let's get yeah, get those healed. That's great. <laughs> but yeah, I've I've been really developed just by the people asking questions here. <laughs> well, that's awesome. When you uh, went to IBC, was it to be an instructor? I know you, that you were the dean of theology there, eventually at least. Um, did you yeah. start that way? Well, what happened is in 2004, Brother Mooney did our camp meeting here in Georgia. And so somehow we just became friends. I think what is happening, he was saying something, and I was, I was yelling at him from the congregation. Something about the King James version. Oh no! <laughs> Remember what? And so I was like, "Yeah." And, the, and so we became friends. And the Lord put on His heart to have me come teach up there. So for the first two years, He would fly me in every week wow. to teach classes. And then after two years, He asked me to come up there full time. We really felt led of the Lord to do that. It was a great thing. There, three years kind of felt. You know, I needed to get back out in the field. I am not comfortable. I'm not against this, but I just wouldn't be comfortable being just a totally full-time academic. That's the reason when I got there, I started the reality week. Uh-huh. You know, was, like, was that yours? And one one of my goals was to teach the things I felt I didn't get taught in Bible school. Not that Bible school was, wasn't phenomenal and great. It was. But when you got out in the real world, pastoring, starting a church, dealing with people, obviously there were things. You can't go over everything. Yeah. But uh, that was a big goal of mine while I was full-time at Bible school. I still teach at IBC. Mm-hmm. But uh, just one class a semester. But it uh, was to, to share the information that I felt was valuable for mm-hmm. people being in the ministry that maybe I didn't catch it. Sure. Well, that that focus and desire was still very much there when I was there. Uh, that was my my biggest praise of IBC was that it was so practical. 
Uh, I got lots of lots and lots of room to practice what I was learning. And then also um, the knowledge that was being given wasn't just history or trivia. It was very practical knowledge. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was really blessed by it. Amen. So you went there to, to teach and then how did you wind up in Scotland? Was it during that period or after? Or? Well, no, actually, Brother Latta was a furlough replacement. I was only there for two weeks. In oh, the yes. Okay. Furlough replacement for the Kellys and asked me to come teach at the Bible school. Nice. So My in, cousin's uh, daughter is there right now. Uh, Morgan Seagraves is there. Uh, Morgan Seagraves oh, is there at that school. Yeah. Great school, great setup. Love Scotland a lot. Yeah. But I've done a couple other missions trips, you know, to Kenya and to Nepal. But I felt like the Lord told me, I was foreign missions director for the state of Georgia as well mm -hmm. for a while. But the place in a, that needed missions more than anywhere in the world was America. So I decided to just dedicate my time to America. Now, we still have given the missions. We've been in the top 100 churches for total giving and giving per capita in foreign missions. But, you know, I, I just, I was like, well, the U.S. needs revival more than most any other place that I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's my experience. We do. It's harder to win people to God here than many places, too. I want to hear something funny. This isn't to be mean to anybody else, but my granddad, who pastored in the Pacific Northwest for a long, long time, um, joked that there were so many missionaries that came from the pacific northwest because it was so hard to plant churches there well, <laughs> so I they had, go overseas <laughs> i have had multiple foreign missionaries tell me like they were home on deputation that they couldn't wait to get back overseas because america was so unwelcoming to missions sure. so unwelcoming to christianity yeah per se yeah so they were like it's much easier overseas I actually had one missionary tell me, kind of went overseas to, uh, you know, he felt like there was persecution coming to America, so he decided to become a missionary, but we won't go there. <laughs> wow. Like, so we're supporting you to escape the coming persecution. <laughs> I don't know if we could classify that as a golden parachute, but <laughs> that's wild. Wow. <laughs> Well, it is, it is exciting, you know, growing up, um, we had the Henry's that were like from our church that went to Papua New Guinea and they would come back with, um, I loved, I loved when they would come back because they always had slideshows and it was like movie night at the church and we'd turned out all the lights and we'd see the pictures and hear their stories. And I loved it. Um, so I was always interested in missions, but, um, yeah, the Lord calls and leads and I'm very happy where we are now. Yeah. Yeah. My sister, she went in a Trinitarian missions organization and she was a furlough replacement in New Guinea for six months, I think. And oh, really? For a Trinitarian organization. And she said, yeah, she said, uh, they, uh, I think they beheaded and cannibalized the person I'm replacing. I was like, oh, well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't get beheaded. She didn't get cannibalized. So we're glad. Yeah. They, they're still practicing. Uh, the Henrys had to hire people, uh, had to hire archers to stand around their, their conferences because other tribes might see that as an opportunity of them not paying attention to come raid the place. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know I had a friend of mine go teach in Ghana not too long ago, and he said the missionaries just told him all kinds of stories 
And they said, we can't even tell these stories in America because nobody would believe them. Well, I believe that, yeah, sure. Yeah. And I'd heard that from other missionaries, too. So yeah. I remember one time I was driving around with uh, a student from IBC, and I just mentioned that to him. He said, well, give me an example. I said, okay. And I, I just gave him an example of a story. He said, never happened. Didn't happen. I said, told you. Nobody. <laughs> Way to fall for it. <laughs> Even if you don't believe it, that's not the time to say it. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> that's great. So, and then um, you, were, you were at IBC teaching, and now you're back in Georgia, pastoring in Albany. Still, yes? Yeah. Wonderful church. Um, I really loved the children's uh, revival we had there. Um, I still use an illustration I got in prayer there about, uh, I asked the kids, we were talking about prayer, we were on repentance, and uh, I asked the kids, anybody's dad ever goes fishing and comes back smelling like fish? He flays the fish, he comes back stinking, I'm like, oh yeah. It's like a mom won't let him in the house. Oh yeah, that's what sin's like. You need to wash your hands <laughs> and get that stinky it. sin off you. <laughs> well, the church loves you. We still have people talk about it. Oh, wow. Mother-in-law went home to be with the Lord last November, but she really dearly loved you. Well, that's very work. sweet. Thank you. You're doing something right now that I wish more people would do, but I don't know of anybody. I can't think of a soul, and I'm not just flattering you. I can't think of anybody who would be better at doing what, what you're doing with the short videos of reviews and answering very, very defined questions in like under 10 minutes. And I love that you're doing it, and you're so proliferate, and I love that you, you seem to have a good process. It looks like maybe you sit down and, and knock out 10 or, or you know a number of them at once and then release them. Um, and I wonder if that, if that idea kind of is connected to an idea you shared with me from your days in publishing. You talked about, and I, I've forgotten all the particulars, so I would love for you to fill me in on, on the particulars, but you talked about the Word of Faith movement being spread through micro-publishing. Right. Yeah, when I was at the Christian bookstore at Berean, okay, I worked the Bible counter, and you know we sold about three hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of Bibles and paraphernalia, and then to my right was a wall, and it was the Word of Faith wall. It was Kenneth Hagin, Kenneth Copeland, Charles Caps, Fred Casey Price, um, Joyce Meyer before she had hit it big, on and on and so forth, and so at that time. They were little booklets. They were about 28 pages, kind of larger print, and very nicely done, stapled back. And they sold them for 50 cents. And then they went up to 75 cents over the course of time, then it went up to a dollar. Like you would have uh, The Creative Force of the Tongue by Charles Capps. I think that thing had sold like six, seven million copies. And that was a huge driver of their growth. Buddy Harrison at Harrison House Publishers in Tulsa, he's related to somebody, Joyce Meyer or something. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't remember who he's related to, but uh, married one of them's sister and stuff, but or daughter. But anyhow, so he started Harrison House Publishers. And again, you know, your Kenneth Copeland's and all that, that was just a massive driver of their growth. Things so, that were convenient. Let me ask let me ask. So it was like a, a display that was in the in the bookstore, and so no, presumably it was in a bunch of bookstores, or no, no. It was just we would order. We had the capabilities to order what sold. Okay, good about that. 
owned by Standex, but and it was so it was just this. Uh, we had one section. Okay. That was probably uh, six by six, six feet by six feet, where we sold. We would just have the the pamphlets alphabetized by author. Sometimes they'd uh-huh. come out with a larger book. Even the larger books were like five ninety five, uh-huh. just big print and just easy to read. Yeah, and that was a huge, huge driver for the word of faith, charismatic, uh, Creflo Dollar. Uh-huh. You know, Creflo Dollar started his church not far from that bookstore. He started running like twenty six thousand pretty quick. Been to his church today. It was amazing. Uh-huh. So amazing. We could learn a lot from them. Sister Haney's learned a lot from them. I know that. But anyhow, you know, people would joke, say, we started the church from your the wall right here. There was oh, a lot wow. of truth. Eddie Long at New Birth started running about 20,000. Eddie was in constantly. We became good friends. And, you know, again, it was just getting these thoughts, these concepts in very so yeah you know some of it has to do with that i've got so many more ideas that i'm just asking god to help with the technology on like podcast mm-hmm. doing several different uh subjects you know 10 minutes 15 minutes something like that maybe even five minutes daily devotionals but uh yeah we live in a time constrained world so people don't want sometimes really big long things and uh yeah it uh brother mooney is the one really got me on youtube he's he really five years ago or so just he was i was sitting in on a class i was teaching class and he was exhorting the students he said you can be changing your world from your dorm room said you got youtube and everything he said why aren't y'all doing this yeah and uh so and so I'd been wanting to do this for years, but God really sent a couple of people to help with the technology and stuff. Praise God. And it's been a roller coaster. We had one one of our top technology people got pregnant, just had a baby in late September. And so, you know, our other guys overwhelmed and it's so we've we but we have not missed a day in over twelve hundred days. So Wow. Of a of a video, to my knowledge. That's great. Uh, youtube yeah i remember brother mooney asking if the apostles had the technology you have now what would they do with it that's a really challenging question yeah and i I love what you are doing so people can search you know for different bibles because you do a lot of bible reviews because you have that that expertise from your time in bible sales um and and that interest you're interested obviously in the things that make bibles unique and easy to use or valuable um, and then also the the short, punchy ways that you deal with doctrines and, and truths, and you deliver them in that way. Um, I love it, and it's concise, and you can just get somebody their answer and, and sharing it with somebody. Somebody can get a really great education watching those, and they don't have to commit to, you know, an hour, two hours. Yeah. Well, thank you. And we get about, you know, 2,500 views a day, somewhere either side of that, before awesome. – our young lady got pregnant. We were up three to four thousand views a day, but I've had to slow my pace down a little bit. Uh-huh. We were doing at least two a day. Now we're down to one a day, occasionally two a day. So let me give you um, 
uh, a tool that I'm using for this uh, show here. So I'm going to take the recording of this video and I'm going to put it on YouTube um, with uh, you know a background around it. And what I can do after that, once I've edited you know the the intro out and and once I've made it the way I want it to, I can drag that video right into a program online called Anchor FM, Anchor like the boat anchor dot FM like the radio uh, technology, and um, it will it will pull the audio out of that and put it right on my podcast. Well, how about that? So yeah, I need to get with you on that. Sure, do that, and uh, that's fantastic. Also, if you wanted to do something separately, like audio only from your mobile phone, you can download the Anchor FM and you can record right there on your mobile phone and publish from your mobile phone, and even edit the audio. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to have to talk about that it's probably been so amazing with the publishing that you do and all that well thank you i'm excited i've got a wonderful woman who's uh working as a title manager taking care of kind of the nuts and bolts of editing and things and answering questions and i just get to promote more and um yeah great it's going great well fantastic yes sir we did the premier study bible here a few years ago that was a fascinating thing too just had, I was looking over here and I saw one. I was like, well, now when you I, say uh, we did, um, I'm afraid people watching won't understand that we did means you were one of the contributors to the Premier Study Bible. I was a managing editor. Okay, I, I didn't know that. <laughs> I thought that you were one of the um, one of the uh, educated people who were contributing to the the notes. So you're the managing editor. Okay. Yeah, I was a managing editor of it, and then did I was in charge of the archaeology of it, and. Uh, and then various and sundry other things, but sure, uh, a lot on the concordance and things. But that was a fascinating. We we had always, Brother Wilson and I had always wanted to do, even though we belong to different organizations, a study Bible. Well, then when we heard the Apostolic Study Bible was coming out, we just forgot about it. Well, then once it came out, I was like, ah, this doesn't have center column reference. This doesn't this doesn't have a lot of things in text uh-huh. map. So it's it's lacking some things. So what we were able to do, thankfully, first of all, Thomas Nelson, you know, I just called him up and said, would y'all be interested in this project? They were like, yeah, we'd be really interested in it. <laughs> so Thomas Nelson helped us with the, you know, they did the publishing for us is what they did. But they also did all the layout and the design, the great folks at Livingstone. Livingstone is a company that does about you know, a large percentage of the study Bible layout. It's very difficult to lay out a study Bible. So then what we did is we were able to just sit down and take the best features that we liked out of every study Bible in existence. So, you know, if it's uh, the Ryrie study Bible has a topical index. So we had a team do an apostolic topical index, you know. Awesome. Uh, KJV study Bible had uh, in-text maps. So we were able to get, you know, 67 in-text maps or something like that. And um, archaeology, character studies, the life application Bible did character studies. So we were able to get character studies in there. The notes, it was a very big deal for some of the guys on there. They were really into language studies that we get uh, the lettering, not just the transliteration, but the actual Hebrew and Greek lettering. Uh And so Livingstone was able to pull that off. Wow. 
with Tom working with Thomas Nelson. So that was pretty miraculous too. <laughs> yeah. I understand layouts and to change the, yeah, that, that could be really problematic. Yeah. You know, there's a, it, they said it took them about 20 years to perfect because where you want the ver you know, you don't want to a verse to keep going on the other side. You've got notes down at the bottom, you know, in center column reference and then in text uh -huh. header. Also did the in-text headers, if I remember correctly. Uh, you know, where it would in chapters where you do that. Yeah, it gives you the subject. Yeah. So uh, you know, and there's some things we've got a Part two coming out. We did 10,000 of them with a little over 2,000 to be shipped overseas, but we're either out of the 10,000 or we're real close to being out of the Wow. 10, so it's going to so be a second edition. Yeah, we're in the process of doing a second edition. We're in the process of getting it electronic. We're in, on the process, very much in the process of getting it in Spanish. That's awesome. The second edition that's coming out, is there, uh, are there, are there updates that maybe somebody should wait for the second edition to buy or um, no, it's not that different? Correcting some errors. <laughs> well, with a project that big, there's always going to be that. Yeah, there really is. We didn't like hearing that, but there really yeah. is. Sure. You know, we, we tried to studiously eliminate but yeah, and, and then in the printing process, it was printed in China, unfortunately. But I mean, for Bibles, that's just where you go now. They yeah. updated all their equipment 2007 to 2009, and they're printing the best Bibles in the world for the cheapest price. You can get them printed in America, half the quality, twice the price. If sure. If you have a story or a testimony that you want to share widely, we have a publishing company that I'd like to refer you to. It's ApostolicPublishingHouse.com. And there's title managers there that will walk you through the process no matter where you are. If you are just have a book idea, they'll tell you how to write it. If you have a manuscript, they'll build a team around you to publish it worldwide. And one of the key things about ApostolicPublishingHouse.com is that you get to keep the rights to your books. They're not a traditional publisher that buys your rights and then puts your book on a shelf uh, never to be published again they are they are going to support you in being a self-published author it's very important that you take advantage of all the technologies that are available now to print on demand to distribute worldwide they're going to set you up for success build a team around you and i love apostolic publishers i love i think our stories need to get out there they build faith they minister in the midweek and so i want to see many many more of us write books i love what brother waldron is doing online and i think we need to produce more resources that's what I'm doing, a big part of my ministry, and I want to support you. So apostolicpublishinghouse.com might be a good fit for you. It doesn't cost anything to talk to them, and uh, I hope that it's a blessing to you. Okay, back to the stories. Isn't that unreal? Yeah, it really is. <laughs> you know, because if we ever get in a war with China, then most of the Bibles, there's 21 million Bibles sold in America a year. I forget uh -huh. if that study Bibles are all Bibles, but 21 million. I think it's 21 million Bibles that, uh, I mean, it, probably 19 million plus. Would be. Yeah. I remember President Trump, when we were in the tariff wars, that uh, the Christians just really went to him and said, you can't do a 25% tariff on Bibles. So he finally, it took him months, but he finally like, okay, we're, we're not going to tariff the Bible. Wow. Yeah, that one source uh, issue. 
I, di- I didn't realize that it was uh, so impactful in Bibles. Yeah. Wild. Well, I'm excited. I'll have to look for the new edition and pick it up. Yeah, it'd probably be at least another year. Okay. Unfortunately. <laughs> it's a big project. That's that's quite the achievements. That That's something some people would just kind of hang their life on. Like, hey, I was managing editor of this huge project that's going to impact generations of people. Well, I mean, you know, you think about it, you have the Thompson Study Bible, mm-hmm. Thompson Bay, Schofield Study Bible, Ryrie Study Bible, the Dake Annotated. You're exactly right on that. I mean, there's a lot of people that have kind of ridden that horse in a certain way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's that's a defining achievement, I think. But you're not, you know, of course, you're not going to rest on your lees. You're not going to uh, settle for that. You're continuing to grow a church and develop ministers and teach. Yeah. And, you know, I've just, I just finished my third book. Now, none of them are, all of them are ready to be published, but my editor has been struggling with the editing process. Uh-huh. And, uh, and so I'm working on my fourth one. I, Lord willing, I may have my fourth one. A guy named James Altucher has really uh, motivated me in writing and stuff. So Wonderful. So well, what have you written on, uh, the books that you've written? I know you've written a uh, pamphlet on the King James Version, or a, a booklet, or I don't know how to correctly describe it. Yeah, and then, you know, another one that Voice and Vision published in 2007 that I need to get redone is The Ancient Historical Evidence for Jesus. Uh-huh. And now, the three books I've gotten done are just, they'll be called Discussions in Scripture, Creationist Commentary on Genesis. So one is like Genesis 1, 1 through 7, 8, mm-hmm. and then 7, 8 through Genesis 12, 16, and then Genesis 12, 16 through uh, Genesis 17 and uh, 8 or something like that. And then the book I'm currently working on is uh, Unconditional Eternal Security. Is it scriptural? Oh, this kind of felt I don't know to, to write that one. So, Lord willing, I mean, maybe this coming year uh, I'll be coming out. I'm trying to come out with a book a month. That's my goal. Really? Yeah. Well, you have the uh, library to work from and the the study to to do it. I believe if anybody can, you could. Um, I've seen your library, and I remember uh, different guys. I didn't join in, but different ones were pointing to, okay, what's this book about? What's that book about? And you're just rattling off what they're about and what they influenced and who they were and uh, so I'm sure that you have the background, the the resources to to get that done. I don't collect books. Every book I've got's got a purpose. It's something to do with apostolic revival. Like if you only knew what's around me now. This is <laughs> so like we have the J. Budashevsky books, yeah. you know, from the University of Texas at Austin, Fox's Book of Martyrs, which I bought for our ministers in my section i'm presbyter down here in the section uh-huh i figured that they may have to live that in the future so might as well get used to it. uh <laughs> you know just all kinds of wow so i'm surrounded by probably 250 books of the bible maybe <laughs> 300 maybe 400 just because it's the studio and it's things that I've just done or about to do. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> whatever excuse you need, bro. <laughs> <laughs>
I, uh, I'm jealous of your of your library. That's one of my aspirations is to get into a place that's big enough we could build in some shelves and really stack up some books. Um, I'm afraid I'll have to lie in Amazon's pockets. We haven't got so many uh, used bookstores or or the history of you know um, uh, estate sales and stuff to easily get books. But you know, you know Brother Mooney, he just bought I think twelve thousand books from a guy in Chicago, and they were like new. And they were great. I could not believe it. But now he doesn't have room for them either. No. I remember being over at his house for Christmas, and uh, he showed us his library. I was like, that's not your whole library. He's like, no, this is one of three. <laughs> that's exactly right. So, uh, yeah, we hope in the Lord that the technology ministry, whether it's YouTube, whether it's podcast, whatever they are, will uh, – you know, continue to grow. So I may have to just pick your brain on how to podcast, like from my phone and all this stuff. Certainly. Yeah. They're making it easier and easier. Um, you know, the, the kind of the driving force behind technology innovation right now is gathering eyeballs. So everybody wants to create a platform and make it easy for you to create content that people will pay attention to. Yeah. And then the other side is monetizing people's personal information. <laughs> There's a, there's a technology or a company right now, and I'm just like, yeah. Um, it's called, oh, goodness, I had their name. Um, community, community.com. And um, the, the whole thing they're doing is they're getting celebrities to take a, a phone number. And then you can text that celebrity at this phone number is the idea. Like all, you know, a million fans are going to be able to reach this celebrity but what they're doing is if you text them then they give you a form and hey fill this thing out and we'll send you happy birthdays from the celebrity and and they're getting all your information attached to your phone number and then they can monetize that and rent it out to marketers and, and things like that it's unreal there's another one maybe you've seen this on facebook that uh that these are the two big like industries right now it used to be oil and we, people were wildcatting around oil now people are wildcatting around people's inf personal information so they're giving away dream cars, like 67 Pontiac GTOs, you know, just cherry, uh, totally, you know, refurbished and everything. They're wow. giving them away. Just give us your information. And they have this really extensive form you fill out and you'll be entered to win. And they're going to give one of those away, but they'll collect a million people's information and they'll sell it for the rest of, you know, their lifetime. They'll be renting it out to different people that want to market to them. Unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> make a dollar yep yep but you know on the good side you know that is uh, not that but the the other kind of industry right now is making it easier for people to create content and so that's working in your favor and anchor fm seems to be the place to be right now for podcasting and they'll make it easy on you well amazing you know and it's difficult being in the second poor city you know when covid hit Oh, the draconian restrictions. We couldn't meet together for a few weeks and things. Yeah. Like it was very difficult to communicate with a lot of our people online because they just did not have electronic media in any sense. Yeah. Weirdly enough, Brother Derek, the you know, the city of Albany, if you go to our Wikipedia page, it says we had uh, one of the worst outbreaks of COVID in the world really? right here in Albany. Yeah. And uh, we, we made the Washington Post and all kinds. I had no idea. Yeah, it was a bad deal. 
So it was kind of humorous to me. I'd have different conspiracy minded friends of mine calling and saying, okay, tell me the truth. It's a, uh, it's a psyop, right? And they're I'm like, no, I've got people dying every day. Oh, goodness. For, you know, for about a two week period, we knew of somebody who died every day. Really? And, but then around that, and uh, our hospitals were full and it was crazy. And uh, they're like, well, we think the CIA is holding a gun to their head, lying to you. I said, just hush. This is, wow. this is a really <laughs> bad deal. And uh, so finally, some of the ones that were doing that actually got COVID and got devastated oh, no. from it. They survived. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I was like, well, now do you believe it's real? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't ask the question if you're not going to accept the answer. <laughs> you know, sorry. Wow. So that was kind of a weird deal. So, that you know, is. we tried to uh, reach out different ways. Right now, I do like a daily devotional through text. Uh -huh. send out some videos to text we have a lady that runs our facebook page but she just became a kindergarten teacher so i think she's a little behind mm -hmm. on that and that's really all we we've done right now to this point besides the youtube channel well um brother uh, uh our brother who's pastors in norvik and kiana art I'm having a, a brain fart, but anyhow, um, our brother who pastors above the Arctic Circle here in Alaska, Art Farmer, sorry, Brother Farmer, um, he reached out and and he was asking about how to teach Bible studies over Zoom, and so I gave him a little, you know, tutorial over Zoom like this. And in doing that, though, you still have the limitation of internet, right? Uh, like you're talking about, some of the folks that you're reaching for, they don't have a good internet. Maybe it's just because the wires in the ground aren't great, and maybe because they're too poor to be prioritizing that in their budget. And so um, where he is, he's reaching in, he's trying to reach to 11 more villages around Norvik and Kiana above the Arctic Circle. Um, they don't have the infrastructure a lot of the times for internet. And so if they're going to have any sort of service, it's like mobile um, cell phone service, and even that's not great. But what he found was, that the Zoom uh, meetings, like what we're on right now, a person could join by calling a phone number, and everybody has phones. And so what they do in his church, at least what they were doing, is they would have a Bible study, or even they would have their church service, and they would call in with the the phone and and be able to hear what was going on over the phone. Yeah, we ran into that. When this first started, we had something similar to that. Uh -huh. What we ran into a lot, we have a lot of older saints. Oh, lot, sure. And they couldn't figure out how to use it on their phone or their phone wasn't capable. And it was just. Yeah, just navigating like, the menus could be difficult. Yeah. So digital natives versus non-digital natives. You know, Like my father-in-law is 78, but he doesn't have internet at his house. Mm -hmm. Not at all. But, and I. But he would have a phone, but he would have a very different, he's got a flip phone. So, I mean, mm -hmm. anything really outside of that, it's just, we have a lot of people like that. It's, just, it's like, okay, so you do the best you can with what yep. you've got. Yeah, yeah. Go and meet them as you can and organize groups and, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. God, it's a big it. challenge. I'm I'm kind of, uh, uh We've been um, unable to complete the plans, of course, that we set for the year. That's everybody. 
you can't meet like you want to. If you had a revival plan, that's probably been squashed and such. And uh, so just today I was replanning, uh, you know, next quarter, next year. Okay, how do we get things done? Actually, that kind of segues into, because, you know, the church has a mission to save the lost and disciple the saved and uh, still needs to happen, COVID or not, <laughs> even able to meet or not. So that kind of segues, though, into something else I was wanting to talk about. So you're doing uh, your your micro videos, and I love them, and uh, they're ministering to people. And I got given a suggestion. I reached out to some different ones just today asking if they knew, and maybe if you know, please interject, if they knew of any evangelists that were using end times teaching and preaching as an evangelistic tool to grow the church, to get attention for the church, bring people to the church, like Irvin Baxter did. Of course, we lost him recently. And uh, what came back was they didn't know anybody. Do you know anybody? No, I don't. Yeah. Well, what yeah. came back as an answer was uh, they suggested, they said even before people were doing this, uh, that they would just broadcast or show, not broadcast, but they would um, present his teaching videos Yeah. and promote that and come and, and watch this presentation and then uh, of course they would have a time of prayer afterwards and they would stay in touch with those people and get them to come to church sunday and it was a good evangelistic method for them i know i've taught a lot only like the message from sunday was the rise of antichrist Mm -hmm. and they do tend to get a lot of eyeballs Mm -hmm. Uh, the mark of the beast was one and uh, the mark of the beast system is here and uh, I noticed it today is still, that was months ago, and it's still in our top 50 videos. You know? Really? Yeah. So you're right. People are interested. I tell you the problem you run into with that anymore. There was a time, you know, in the 80s, everybody believed in a pre-trib rapture. Uh-huh. And then you had the Tim LaHaye series, pre-trib rapture. And now... Uh, almost nobody believes in a pre-trib rapture. It does seem that way. Yeah, and so if you go to teach, I mean, even in our local church, um, you, there causes a lot of division. Yeah, Yeah, and you don't want to breed contention. Yeah, and so like we had, there was an evangelist here in the South. Uh, He recently made a statement, he's got some online ministry and stuff. He said, if you don't believe in the post-trib, you're in false doctrine. He said, I consider it a heaven and hell doctrine. Oh wow. And if you don't believe that, you need to leave. And the pastor you where you go to church, if they don't believe it, you need to leave that church. Wow. Well, I had a friend that lost four families from that. Really? Yeah. And so, you know, Your it's friends no the pastor trouble. and this evangelist is is causing trouble. Yeah. Wow. All the time. And so it's not just a live and let live. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's in many cases, it's a, and see the problem I've always had post-trib rapture besides a lot of questions I've got, I've got a video on that questions about post-trib rapture that haven't been adequately answered is the second thing is, is okay. If you're going to live through the tribulation and one of the leading uh, psychological emotions and man is survival. Well, they're like, okay, I'm fixing to have to fight the Antichrist. 
and the mark of the beast is coming. So I better store a bunch of food and I better do this, that, and the other. And everybody's looking for the antichrist and not Jesus Christ. Uh I've had people in our local church that unbeknownst to me, uh, but they were preparing for Uh the, I mean, they were, they had little buggies ready to walk into the woods with their guns and everything. Like bug out bags and stuff. Yeah, I mean, so I don't mind people being prepared. I don't mind preppers and all this uh-huh. kind of stuff. But instead of winning souls, praying and all that, and, and looking for that blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, they're just looking for the Antichrist. And then every piece of news that comes out tends to startle them mm-hmm. and brings them one step closer. And so they spend their life prepping. See, uh-huh. I knew of a ghost tribber from the 70s and he died probably in the 90s from mississippi and and he lived his whole life preparing for the antichrist he kept a packed bag by the door so he could leave moments notice this guy he's had a great church and great minister and love god uh then it gets into some goofy stuff too i I know of a guy that had a great church and he ended up moving his whole church to idaho and they're preparing they do like drills this is upc i don't know i don't doubt he's still upc it was apostolic or something but anyhow um like his church drills and they think the antichrist is going to be coming over some mountain in idaho they're just ready to fight him and i had a friend of mine ask him a while back he said no instead of doing all this ridiculous stuff moving from california to idaho what if you had just won souls what if you had just prayed won the lord to do something don't you think you'd have done a lot more for god he's like yeah you're probably right <laughs> so yeah anyhow and i'm not saying post-trib is necessarily wrong i'm still studying the issue uh-huh. it has been my experience that so many people are not occupying till he comes that, that it, it breeds a spirit of fear. Yeah. No, we don't need fear. That's what I'm teaching on tonight. Uh, the spirit of fear and uh, we are not, it's not of God and God wants us to be full of his hope and joy and fruit of the spirit. And yes, sir. That's right. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm kind of interested in that. And as a technology, that idea of having a video conference, a video presentation, uh, so that you can have somebody who is really, really astute in a subject, like yourself with biblical archaeology. Somebody who really knows what they're doing, is really good at presenting it. Maybe they've done the work to create a compelling slideshow and other media, things like that, to help a local church. Ours is a North American missions church. Um, we relaunched almost four years ago. And um, so you know, resources aren't, aren't all there. And then also we're in the corner of the world. So getting somebody up here is doubly expensive and such. And so uh, the idea, I like the idea. Uh, I don't know if you, have you seen anybody do that well? Um, I haven't, but again, I'm in the corner of the world. So, you know, the brother, I think he passed away. That was in Duluth, Minnesota, brother Merrick uh-huh. going and doing wonderful pre-trib teachings around America. Okay. I don't think he had a lot in the way of slide presentations and things. And then I just saw a post-tribber. I know of two post-tribbers that have Facebook live chats, do YouTube videos periodically. They're apostolic. 
Mm-hmm. And the one, I mean, you think he's in a studio. It's it's like, you know, he does the it's black background with lights, and you think he's in a city and all this, and he's walking. Really? Well. All this. Yeah, it's just amazing. <laughs> but he is a post-tribber. Yeah. And so I don't know of anybody from a pre-trib perspective, mm-hmm. apostolic, doing that. Sounds like an opportunity for somebody. Yeah. Well, technology, things do uh, go better with graphics and things like that. They do. It wouldn't be necessary, but the idea of bringing somebody in that could really bless a church, but now they don't have to travel or the church doesn't have to host them, especially now where you're not sure if you're going to be able to have a meeting here in a month, if the city's going to shut down again, things like that. It could be... um, I think we'll try it, and uh, it could be a good, right. a good uh, methodology, you know, to uh, invite people out and and set it up as as something that is kind of hosted. It's like a hosted presentation. So I could be there, greet everybody, you know, ha- have a very warm and comfortable environment. We have our greeters, and it's all set up nice. Um, they they were together for the presentation, the teaching, whatever that is. And then afterwards, uh, you're actually calling for prayer and encouraging each other, collecting uh, yeah. contact information, following up, you know, with the local church. Yeah. It almost makes me wish we had a theater here in town. <laughs> Rent out the theater and put some Christian stuff in there. <laughs> 70s and early 80s, you probably remember this four-part series of like Prodigal Planet, and Thief in the Night, these type movies. I mean, they were humongous back yeah. in the... I mean, they were pre-trib rapture. Uh-huh. They're so dated, bell-bottom pants, you know, and kids just laugh at them anymore. It's sure. Obviously, late 70s time period. But they were huge in that time period. I remember Brother Knight, who I grew up next door to, one of the ways he grew his church was on Friday nights. He would play these rapture videos. And then, like, when the movie The Omen came out. I've heard he of it. play The Omen. Oh, really? <laughs> because of the end-time implications. You know? uh-huh. That guy was the Antichrist. And then the uh, son of Paul Crouch did an excellent end time movie back in 2004 ish 2005 i can't remember the name of it it was pre-trib but Uh it was it was the best and then they tried to come out with the left behind series on film but it never worked out real well no crouch's son that movie was that movie was phenomenal i have to look for it i don't know it yeah i can youtube it though or or uh, google it yeah i'm sure it was, it was that well done. I think John Voigt played the Antichrist. Okay. So who's Angelina Jolie's dad? Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't either till just like this week because he came out with some political statement and in, in uh-huh. the article on it that said this is Angelina Jolie's dad, <laughs> and this is why this person matters. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so terrible. <laughs> oh man we're gonna tell you what what you should be concerned about and we'll tell you why it matters and we'll tell you <laughs> well i am going to get with you on the podcasting because that's been a prayer of mine and Good. i feel like i can just sit in my recliner and yeah. do like five or six podcasts a day 
Sure. <laughs> you absolutely sure. could. You get those little earbuds people have, you know, because they have the microphone built in. And um, yeah, you can just wax poetic and it'll record yeah. it. And then on, on the thing, you can cut it up like, and send it out. I can't just do like this, I guess. You could, you could, but if you really want to relax, you, you don't want to have to hold the... <laughs> well, my goodness, yeah. Yes, sir. That sounds awesome. I do think this is a great time. You know, the Chinese have been using technology to reach China for many years. Um, you know, when they would outlaw the Bibles, importation of Bibles and things, they would get flash drives and have, and so they could, they'd take them over in flash drives or hide them on laptops. And then when they mm -hmm. got there, they'd, they'd print them off, you know. Well, and, that's one uh, of the great things about digital technologies. The, you don't have any cost and duplication. Yeah. So it can, it can really, really spread. Brother Bernard was talking about, and he did it in a public meeting that was broadcast, and so I don't think I have to worry about this being privileged information, but talking about how in countries that, were, uh, that are closed to the gospel, they've developed a computer system that, and a, and a Bible college on a um, microcomputer that has a drive that's you know uniquely married to it that doesn't work on anything else. And um, there's like three components to this little computer that they would plug into a TV and then be able to have a Bible college. And then if those, any of those three components are missing, that doesn't work. And so all three people have to come together and assemble it right. And uh, yeah, it's neat. It's really neat. Praise God. That yeah. is so good. Yeah, technology is not the enemy, not at all. Yeah, no, it can be used for so much good. Absolutely. We just had a prayer conference here in Georgia. It was World Network of Prayer. And so I was teaching one of the little sessions there. I was like, you know, we need to pray. Many things to pray about. I mean, pray for Mark Zuckerberg and Sindar Bakar and, um, you know, the lady who runs YouTube and, mm -hmm. uh, Jack Dorsey, pray for him to get the Holy Ghost. Pray for us to always have favor with it. You know, these type technologies, Telegram, mm -hmm. even whatever technologies are out there, USA Life, and ask God to just, uh, again, to give favor and to bless it. So uh, I kind of see that in a little bit. You know, I've always been concerned about getting booted off with questionable content. Oh, you know, sure. cancel culture and all this. But like I've noticed recently, some people that got booted off, some of their followers have been migrating over to our channel, yep. which I think is an act of God. You know, we just had a guy just a few days ago. I mean, he said, look, he said, I, I because I was watching your channel, he said, I used to go to Baptist church and then there's a two o'clock apostolic church in our town so i started going there he said man i'm just doing away with the baptist church he said the difference is night and day that's said, right <laughs> that's awesome yeah and so, so he's a youtube follower of yours yeah awesome. yeah awesome we get things like that you'd be shocked on a fairly regular basis of either backsliders praying through or somebody will just comment they said oh we thought you might want to know from watching your videos we got baptized in jesus name got the holy ghost here in yes. ohio here just want to let you know yeah <laughs> the lord you know that is awesome now do you have all of your videos backed up so if you were booted off you could go and upload them to another yeah. platform excellent we excellent we've already been looking at like rumble and bit shoot and mm -hmm. uh 
some of the other ones, maybe Vimeo, mm-hmm. uh, It just now is a matter of time. Sure. Just don't have the time to upload all those places. Like yeah. Sticks and Hammer 666, he decided he would go everywhere in case he got booted off, you know. Oh. Sticks and Hammer 666, I'm not sure if you're acquainted with him, but he's a fairly popular YouTuber. And he used to be like into the cult. And he, as, as he talked and thought, I mean, he, he basically talked himself into being a conservative. You know? <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. That, so, that thinking is dangerous. Yeah. That thinking is a dangerous thing to do. Oh, <laughs> that happens to a lot. Joe Rogan, different ones. You, you begin to Michael Rechtenwald and uh-huh. uh, several of the ones, uh, Brett Weinstein and all these that are I've seen you know, socialist and all this. And then all of a sudden, they're accused of being members of uh, the alt right, the intellectual dark web, and these type things. Yeah, and it's yeah. all because of talk. I've been reading a lot of the founding fathers, and they almost never quoted anybody. And I remembered from years ago reading Desiderius Erasmus. He said, "If you ever get to the point to where we have to footnote everything, that will be the death of thinking." I believe it. Uh, you know, so one reason the founding fathers were able to develop, they were able to have the arena of ideas and come out with the best method for the greatest number of people. And uh, you can get an anti-federalist and a federalist and all this, and then the discussions, and then just sitting there like at the Constitutional Convention, discussing for hours every day. And uh, it's all about thinking. Now, that they would use past experience in Rome and Greece and Sparta, various things, Montesquieu. Uh-huh. And, uh, but there, there's something to be said. Just the uh, I've learned a lot, lot from our YouTube viewers. They, sure. they teach me constantly. And uh, they've helped me uh, fine-tune so many things, so many sure. documents, questions I get on oneness and things. I think the power there is making ideas your own. So our, our founding fathers were educated men. They'd read ancient texts and philosophy and such, but yeah. they they had made it their own and applied it to themselves. And so they didn't need to footnote others, reference others, uh, because they had you know internalized that, I think. And they had they applied a it to the sense of real life, mm-hmm. practicality, not theory. I was reading somebody, I think they were from Czechoslovakia, and when it fell to communism in 46-ish, they said that the biggest thing that the populace, they said we couldn't understand how archaic or or esoteric ideas from college could affect our real life. They said we had no grasp of that. You know, we're just going to the grocery store, we're doing this, we're going to work every day. And they didn't have the idea how ideas have consequences. And they, they were mentioning they see the same things happening, you know, in mainland USA as well. Mm. So I think that that is uh, something, that ideas do have consequences. And the ability to discuss is uh, a very freedom of speech. What can I say? It's you... you do away with hate speech with more speech mm-hmm. because if you eliminate speech and then you you put it in Overton's window, well, what if Overton's window? What if the entire thing is wrong? Uh-huh. 
But if the left and the right both are wrong, what if that? What if the answer is outside of the paradigm there? Mm-hmm. And so I would think, you know, and I know money. My dad always used to say, "There's two types of people in the world. There's people that have money and people who want it." <laughs> that was one of his famous sayings. He was an atheist for a while, but he. Uh, but I think, like even in the political realm, people who come up with solutions and say, "Look," and this is one thing I've noticed, have been very effective on YouTube. I've been very open of who I am. I'm Appstock, not trying to hide it or anything. Mm-hmm. But when I approach, like say the Trinity, mm-hmm. from a certain perspective, and I'll say, "Well, look, we all just want to be right with God," and I, I don't question anybody's motives. Uh-huh. But we have to look, okay, the term Trinity is not found in the Bible. The term first person, second person, third person, the Godhead is not found in the Bible. Uh-huh. Um, co-equal, co-eternal, consubstantial, none of these terms are in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So what if we just said, let's try to see what the Bible says with no preconceived ideas and take it in its context? And I've, I've had many people, some have actually converted to oneness. But many people say they appreciate that approach sure, because it doesn't feel like I'm a oneness Pentecostal, I'm right, you're wrong. And there's a time and place for all that. But there's a time and place where like Paul is like, well, you know, this unknown God whom you ignorantly worship, I'm going to declare him unto you, the creator out here yeah. and all this. And so if you can and sometimes just present it that I'm not against you. I'm for Jesus. I'm for the truth of the Bible and yeah. God is for you. And I would just like to see you, you know, how do you explain that Daryl Bach, who's a Trinitarian scholar says now, every time a Palestinian Jew said, ho curios, the Lord, he was talking about Jehovah. So this totally revolutionizes new Testament studies because Jesus is called the Lord gobs of times oh yes or the lord jesus christ so it's not because people would always say well curios could either mean like a, a, a judge a magistrate all the way up to god caesar huh. with curios and all this and so he he did all the stant literature the rabbinical literature from the wow. second century dead sea scrolls second century bc through the first century AD. everything we have whenever a palestinian jew said the lord he always meant jehovah Yep. So it's like, okay, well, how, okay, you're trying, how do you explain that? And so then is there three Jehovah's? One Jehovah? You know, does a cod always mean three? Does, does Elohim mean three somehow? Let's talk about this. And when you work them through it, and it, it, Elohim doesn't ever mean three to our knowledge, it, a cod doesn't mean three, and it's, it's a synonym with Yahid and all of this, but it means absolutely one. In most instances, then they're like, oh, okay. And, and let's say, you know, hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. They say one is a cod, a cod can be a plural, see, even the Trinity is mentioned there. I was like, well, now, d- didn't the Hebrews have a word for three? Well, yes. Well, then why didn't it say, hero Israel, the Lord our God is three? You know, why did it say one if it meant three? Uh-huh. If there's a word available for three. So it's those type discussions, Brother Derek, that I've had on the internet with people that have really greatly benefited me. It's like, 
you know, people are like, ah, yeah, you know. And, <laughs> yep. Uh, and if they're intellectually honest, then they're going to have to wrestle yeah. with that. Yeah. I love that you're, you're pastoring uh, a real revival church that's ministering to this, um, this poorest of areas in an area that uh, needs the gospel. But at the same time, you're also broadening um, your reach and your influence using you know, leveraging technology. You know, you're, you're, you've already done this work. You've done the reading, and you've taught a lot of this already in the past. I'm sure you've taught all of it in the past to individuals in your church, to your church body, and such as that. And now you're able to repurpose it and broadcast it to the whole world if they'll look for it. And uh, it's extraordinary. Well, having fun and just want everybody to be apostolic. That's the goal at the end of the day. We just want everybody apostolic. That's right. <laughs> everybody have the love and the grace of God in their life, you know. And yes, uh, appreciate what you're doing. You just Thank keep you. influencing the world, Brother Seagraves. Hallelujah. Well, we are. We're doing our best. And I, I hope that um, more people will go to your YouTube channel. And uh, the people that are there would get to know you better through this, a little bit of your history and your heart. You know, that they wouldn't just appreciate the, the information that, that you share, but they'd appreciate you as a person. Is there, uh, do you have a website or a place where people could find resources or connect to you? I know I can share your YouTube video, but where else can I share you? Well, newlifeofalbany.com, newlifeofalbany.com. Usually okay. just, if you Google New Life of Albany, we come up. Let's just sure. say that. Newlifeofalbany.com, and that's where people can email and they, you know, can call and that type thing. Great. And contact us, so. Awesome. And then uh, most of our videos are not under Steve Waldron. They're under New Life of Albany. Yes. Yes, I'll share those links so people can follow along. And uh, once your books are published <clears throat> and republished, that one, um, let me know. And I can link those also in the description because I can go back and edit it. I will get those to you. Thank you. And I will, uh, I'm going to get with you, Lord willing, on the podcast, maybe early next week. Okay. But I'm highly interested in that. Certainly. Yeah, I think I can um, put together something real easy to, to show you how it works, and it won't take long at all. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. All right, brother. Well, thank you for this conversation. You have a blessed, wonderful evening. Uh, we're going to eat dinner and go to our Bible study tonight. Yeah, we love you guys. Tell thank Sister Shannon we said hello. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. God bless. Okay, take care. We'll see you. One last appeal, I want to invite you to become a partner in ministry of ours so that you can receive updates on all of our resources that we're producing so that you can give us feedback and say, I really liked that, or I wish you would have done this differently, things like that. You could connect us to future guests, people that are doing interesting things in the apostolic movement, pushing frontiers and cutting the edge and such as that. So please go to seagraves.me. S-E-A-G-R-A-V as in Victor, E-S dot M-E, and join our newsletter. We have the Seagraves Ministry Partners newsletter there, and you could be our partner in ministry and see all the things that we're doing in Alaska, in ministry innovation, in the shows such as that, and you could give us feedback. I really appreciate, I just sent out a newsletter, I really appreciate the feedback you guys gave me. Thank you so much. And I just want to grow that group so that we can have more in common. God bless.